Today's reading is 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 22. It can be found on pages 1,124 of the Bibles next to your seats, as well as up on the screen. This is God's word. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. In that state, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water, and this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand, with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. The word of the Lord. Friends, as we look at this, um, let's just open with prayer. Let us pray. Our God of grace, as we come into this room, we come with different things on our hearts and different experiences in, our, in the last week or month or even uh, throughout our life. And we sit here, we may feel like nobody gets us, nobody understands what we're going through. We may feel very alone, we may feel um, afraid of certain things in life, we may feel um, like the world is not safe. Some of us come with great questions, um, dilemmas in our work life, our home life, or with our neighbors or family. And others of us come having certain sense of joy and gladness because new doors have opened and we have a sense that you have cared for us or that you have um, brought good things to our journey. Um, and, and quite frankly, all of us are usually a mixture of some of those kinds of things. We come in, truth be told, we are more broken than we care to admit, and yet your story and your grace through Jesus promises that we are more loved in Christ than we ever imagined. Right as we turn to you, as soon as we step into a relationship with you, that is true of us. Despite anything we've done, your grace overwhelms, your grace and your love floods us. We are called your children. More than a mess than we care to admit, but more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever imagined. And as we dig into this passage of scripture today, may you use these words to draw us deeper into that grace and more sure of your loving, uh, smiling uh, face looking upon our life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Every week there's a question of the week in the worship guide and there's a tear-off card that you can, you can fill out and let us know things like who you are and how you maybe have a need that we can connect with or you can uh, put a prayer request or ask questions. There's on the back side of it a question. And the, so the question of the week for next week is what in your life has become normalized which is just kind of fun because, you know, like for me, I've had little small kids in the house for, well, babies are small kids for the last 15 years. So there's certain things like, you know, that become normalized, like just waking up multiple times or being woken up multiple times at night. It just becomes normalized, right? So have fun with that and fill that out. The question from last week was, um, what has your conscience been telling you? And these, these answers just made me love you guys your answers from last week. It just, this is just so good, and I'm so glad we do this practice. So someone says, very simply, trust him. That's the answer. Someone else says, what is your, what has my conscience been telling me? Quit wasting so much time and really find a way through prayer to tell others about Jesus. <clears throat> and then somebody says, what is, what is your conscience been telling you? Read more, watch less. What has your conscience been telling you? You should probably sleep more. Don't eat that third cupcake. <laughs> and then this one, uh, very heavy, and just makes my mind, it just, you know, in a way, it makes me want to cry. It makes me wonder what's behind it. And, I, and I, know this, I know these kinds of things because I meet with you, and I know that these things are on your minds and hearts from all different places. But I have no idea who wrote this, but we are estranged. What is your conscience telling you? We are estranged question of the week. So what has your conscience been telling you? What is our conscience? You, humanity has this, it's really like a gift that we've been given, that there's a conscience, there's a voice inside of ourselves that speaks to us, that nudges us and directs us, reminds us of things that are going on in our life, um, nudges us to rectify things to um, follow up on things, to do this versus this, to don't, don't do this, do this, our conscience. Um, but it's broken. I think you would admit if you open up the newspaper, you say, humanity has this gift of a conscience. If, if we do, it's messed up. So, you know, it's haywire, it's broken. Somewhere along the line, the voice is, uh, something's going wrong with it because look at our world. And truthfully, um, you look at your own life and you say, my, it's broken. My own conscience is broken. Your conscience and that voice, that it very quickly, just this list of, of answers, very quickly you see, if, when we get honest, and when it's, especially when it's anonymous, our conscience is very active in telling us that something's broken, something's off, because the voices are there, the nudgings are there, and yet... We aren't following through. We're still hitting roadblocks. I would say our conscience is broken in two ways that I see. One is that we are overly guarded against the voices that are coming at us. We have our defenses up. We're really guarded from those voices actually getting in and translating to action. And so we all have our stories of hurts and wounds and authority figures who have put voices in our head and told us to do certain things and not other things. And so we're on guard. 
Also, we just, we just don't like to change. And we don't like the hard steps involved in the finish line that we want to get to. And so, even though those nudges come in, we guard ourselves and we don't let the voices in as much as we really need them to get in. So that's one way in which our conscience is broken. We, we somehow just guard ourselves against the voices and what they're telling us. Another way that it's broken is that we, um, we get overly plagued by our conscience. So that the voices in our head can become to begin to accuse us and it can run like a, on repeat over and over and it can start to feel like we're imprisoned and trapped and caged inside of a chamber filled with regret. And what if and could have, should have, would have, what if I had done things differently and now I can't fix it? And when you become a Christian, what we learn through Scripture is that God begins through Jesus to repair your conscience. So that in both ways that I just described, we begin to be less guarded and more open and less defensive against the things that we're being nudged towards. The voice, the internal voice, I would say the voice of God, nudging us in a certain way, we become less and less defensive if the gospel is taking root in our lives. Because the gospel is the message of Jesus that says, we are now okay with God. We're okay. And the Bible talks about we have a righteousness, like it's, a, it's an alien, foreign righteousness that doesn't belong to us, but it's been given to us. And so in God's eyes, even though we fail and even though we don't deserve it, we've been made okay. So there's a sense in which all the guardedness and the self-protection to push those voices and nudges away start to break away. Why do we have to be so guarded? What are we so defensive and worried about? If we're okay with God, I can start to relax. And that's a part of the gospel piecing you back together and repairing your conscience. It also, does, it also frees you and frees you up from that imprisonment of those repetitive accusations of regret and guilt. those overwhelming attacks of consciousness, you're freed up and the accusations that might come at you, as legitimate as they might be, they don't stick permanently anymore because the gospel is sort of a unstickiness of your guilt. So that yes, I messed up. Yes, I'm guilty. Yes, I, I screwed that thing up way back then and I can no longer piece it back together on my, on my own. But before God, my status has shifted. I've been made right with God. And there is a forgiveness that washes into my heart in the deepest places. And I can just kind of detach from that, that repetitive running over the could have, should have, would have of the past. So the question is, is Jesus in any significant way? Are you sensing Jesus repairing your conscience? Is that happening? Is Jesus repairing you from the inside? Are you getting less defensive? Are you getting more at peace about your mistakes? One of the, one of the big problems that I see as I meet with people and pastor people is that we can be really, and I see to myself, we can really beat ourselves up the gospel frees you, unlocks you from that. 
And you don't stop taking your mistakes seriously. You just aren't trapped and imprisoned by them. So friends, look at verse 21 of chapter 3 that we're reading this morning. And this is what, this is what it says. And this water, speaking back of Noah, symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. That's central to the Christian's hope. You know, earlier in this passage that Katie read, there's some confusing and odd things in this passage. In fact, one of the things about Jesus going down and preaching, um, it's a very strange uh, part of this text. Um, What does it say? In that state, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. That, that phrase, Martin Luther said of that phrase, that's the most obscure t- passage in all of Scripture, and I, I will not try to explain it. <laughs> this is like one of the greatest theologians and biblical scholars in history. So, uh, And I'm not going to try to one-up Martin Luther today and, and give you an explanation for what that means. It doesn't really connect or fit with a lot of what else is in Scripture. Um. But what is in here is something that people have grabbed on. If you've been in the church world for some time, you've, you've heard this, this verse spoken. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer. See, some of you know this, this verse. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And in one way, you, you know, our context is different from those, that of First Peter in that this dramatic persecution for their faith that they were experiencing. But, in, but, it's, but it's the same, there's the same concept at work in us too, is that something in your life, as you deal with suffering and difficulty, um, should come through to those you live around. Something should be like a stable and a ballast in your life. And, and it says a reason for your hope. It says you should have, there's, there's a sense in which the vision is you should have a hope amidst the suffering and difficulties on, under which you're, you're living. And I would say that part of that hope is what comes up later in the passage in verse 21 when it says that, that, that our baptism teaches us about the removal, not the removal of dirt from our body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. But that's, that's something you live with in the midst of the nitty-gritty of your challenges, that, you're, that there's a gift of a, and a pledge from God of a clear conscience. Do you believe it's true? Do you believe it's effective? Has it been shaping how you think about yourself and how you go about the world? Like, yes, I'm really broken, and my conscience tells me I've really messed up, but God has intervened. And the inner chamber of the voices and accusations of my mind have been completely shifted. That's what the gospel does to you. The, and your conscience might lead you to, have, to rectify certain situations, and that's good. You know, you say, I've screwed up over there, and, I, and I'm going to circle back around, and I'm going to acknowledge my part in it, and I'm going to try to repair it. And sometimes we can repair and have reconciliations. But so many times, the things you're carrying with you as you walk into this room are places in your life that you can't rectify, and you'll never be able to. And that's the stuff that just sits with you and that you carry, you know. Someone that you've offended or messed up with, that they, they died, you know. Or some, someone won't come to the table in that reconciliation that you're pursuing. They don't want anything to do with it. They've cut you off. You know, there's these kinds of things where then we're just stuck. And then what? And that's when you as a Christian, when your faith just 
just buoys you up and because of this promise of a clear conscience before God. And you've found at the deepest part of your heart, you've found a peace with the one who you've most offended. And that peace seeps out into all the places that are unreconciled and unrectified. The gospel is at the center of my being. I am then at complete peace. At least that's what the gospel tells us. I'm at complete peace because Jesus has rectified everything. And this is not just some brand new, as I've been saying other times about some of the things in 1 Peter, there's not some brand new thing with Jesus or with the New Testament letters. This, a lot of this goes way back into the Old Testament and into the ways God with ancient people of Israel was always dealing with them. You've heard of the phrase scapegoat. You've heard that, that word, scapegoat. It's still used today. And I don't know if you know that this is where it comes from. But in the book of Leviticus, chapter 16, there's an incredible picture. And I want you to just enter into this and think about, especially your own unrectified stuff that your conscience speaks to you about. When Aaron was finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task. It would be fun to be that person. <laughs> the goat will carry on itself all the sins to a remote place, and the man shall release it in the wilderness. Oh, if that could be what it's like to have a relationship with God. And, but that's exactly what God is saying, giving this in incredible, powerful image of how God enters in to what we can't rectify and takes everything you're carrying this morning and imagine it gets put on a, on a goat and we just kind of draw lots or whatever and someone's chosen to go walk that goat out into the desert and it's gone and we all just kind of go, wow, there it goes. We can't even see it anymore. It's gone. And of course, if you then, you then follow in some of the things that the New Testament makes sense, that Jesus is spoken of that way, that, we, that Jesus becomes the one on whom um, John the Baptist, when he first saw Jesus, he shouted out loud. This is the one thing that came to his mind. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is Jesus, the goat, the lamb, the sacrifice. To take all of that that we can't rectify and just... Another place in the Bible in Psalm 103 says, um, As far as east is from the west. Let me, let me read it. As far as east is from the west, so far... Has he removed our transgressions from us? It's like the goat. Just it's out of sight as far in any direction as you can see. That's been God's intent all along to enter in. And Jesus is that final definitive way. All the sacrificing and all the symbols and all these things now have a new one who has embodied that. Who has literally borne the punishment and the weight and the burden and the guilt 
and the shame and all the stuff you're carrying. And he, he, he bore that and he took it onto the cross. And it's now just gone from God's sight. All that you might carry. That's what Christians have. The pledge of a clean conscience. Did you catch some of this language already in our confession time earlier? When we read, um, For your hand was heavy on me, my strength was sapped as though in the heat of summer. That sense of that, the language of conscience. And then I acknowledged my sin to you and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And then we, we read on when we had the words of assurance, it went like this. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let me give you one more picture of this. My, um, across the street from where we live, there's a house that's now empty. Um, the woman who lived there was an old Chinese woman. So it, she didn't speak English really, so we never really conversed. Um, and one of those neighbors that you don't interact with much, but after they're gone, you just kind of miss the little charming um, presence that she was. And one of the things that she would do, and it taught us actually how to manage when you get too much rain in the street, our drains would clog and water would go out to about half the, like the middle of the street. And there's a drain in front of her house across the street and a drain in front of our house. And one year when this was all clogged up in the street, we saw this little old frail Chinese woman out there with this long pole and she was, she was holding it and was deep down into the drain grating and she was just kind of pushing it around and moving it back and forth and working really hard. And then all of a sudden, you know, we're like, is that going to work? Does she know what she's doing? And all of a sudden, this huge pond of water that's out there just flushed down. It was the most, it's the most rewarding thing to see ever. I mean, it's so amazing. It's kind of similar to how my kids have always, especially my little ones now, when the bathtub, when you pull the plug and they just, they just are watching it just whoosh down and spiral. And I mean, it's such an amazing sight. Um, and we do that now. We now know how to do that. And we have a pole that we get out for that. And that's what we do. And then you sit and you watch and you only get about five seconds and the water's just whoosh, gone. It's so satisfying. Friends, does that not remind you of what baptism and even this water up here of baptism reminds you of? The, the whoosh of baptism. The whoosh of the cleansing, the flushing of your clogged conscience that is the gift of Jesus to us. And it's a gift we just tap into every single day when we pray Every single time you come forward for communion and you remember Christ's body and blood, every single time you sing a song or open your Bible, you're entering into that, your, that relationship with God where his posture is to say, whoosh, and the healing, let the healing begin. Let's pray together. God of grace, we pray that the forgiveness and grace, oh, that it would be as clear and real as a goat disappearing into the wilderness, as a clogged flood just releasing and flooding and going where it's supposed to go. Would your grace in our lives, exactly how we all need it, would it become that clear and that real for us? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.